iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage director Brand Serson, cast members Thomas Middleditch, Christopher McDonald, Leah Thompson, Pamela Shaw, and Jason Rogel. Moderating tonight's event, editor from AOL Movie Phone, please welcome Kevin Poloey. Hello, everyone. Hi, you guys. Are we on? Yay! Windows 7 sucks. It works. <laughs> uh, so I'm Kevin Poloey from AOL Movie Phone. I'm honored to be here with the cast and director of Splinterheads, an excellent, excellent comedy that I saw the other night. Um, Brant, I'm going to start by asking, I think, the question that's on everybody's mind. Uh, what the hell is a splinterhead, and why did you want to make a movie titled after them? Uh, a splinterhead is a... a Within the carnival culture, uh, carnies, uh, there's a whole subculture there. There's like your food people, there's your game people, and your ride people. And uh, the game people within the carnival world call themselves splinterheads. Uh, they don't go by carnies. It's a different culture. They're, they have to like, uh, like hustle the crowd and lure, um, they have to lure people to their games and try to get money where a ride person just stands there and collects tickets. So the term came from back in the day, like I think in... I don't know what year, but uh, the, the games used to be built by these wooden frames and they would bump their heads and get splinters. And that's where the name Splinterheads came from. And uh, I learned this when I went to a carnival uh, with a buddy of mine from England and we were playing a game and we were actually, um, there's a scene in, in the film that it's based off of, but uh, we, were, we went to play this game and this guy was, you know, oh, come play the dark game and win a big bear. And we were like, yeah, we don't want a bear, you know? And, and uh, he's like, well, I'll give you 50 bucks if you could pop four in a row. We ended up getting scammed out of 50 bucks. We lost $50. So I was so impressed by his play of words and everything. Uh, I went back the next night with a video camera and just kind of like hung out and filmed the scene, talked to the guys and paid them to get information basically. A lot of it was, I'm sure was lies and stuff. But, uh, um, and then just developed the story. Uh, I was so fascinated by the carnival world and I spent like the next year going to just random carnivals wherever I was. And Thomas, you played Justin Frost, the, the lead character in this story. Justin's kind of a, a, a boy in a man's body, so, sort of an aimless, wandering soul. How, how old is Justin anyway? I couldn't, I couldn't figure that out watching this movie. <laughs> well, uh, I feel like Justin is, uh, you know, t around 25, something like that. Uh, he just, I don't know if he's uh, a man-child, just more or less just a... Uh, a guy who really hasn't found his calling and is a little, maybe a little socially awkward uh, as a result, or <laughs> maybe the reason why he hasn't found it. Um, yeah, yeah, probably closer to, to my age than than a, than a child or a, a, an older man child. I feel like, hopefully, that came across. So, well, yeah. t tell us this: how much how much Thomas was there in Justin? Was was this a character that you could relate to very much? No, oh. I'm extremely confident in all social interactions. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it, there's definitely a lot of crossover. I mean, you know, like, I, I, I grew up <laughs> quite socially awkward, and it was only until later years where I sort of, like, you know, found out, you know, my, my calling through performing or whatever. Um, but definitely uh, tapping into that 
awkwardness, especially around beautiful women, uh, was uh, not at all a stretch. Especially when Rachel Taylor is, you know, looking at you and you're like, oh, wow, you're from another planet. <laughs> uh, Leah, you play Justin's very loyal mother who, who kind of stays, who, who unflinching when insanity erupts around her. What, what appealed to you about this character? Well, uh, he does play my son, so I had him when I was 15. That's basically it. Yeah, yeah, He's 25. Exactly. <laughs> um, uh, you know what? I just, I just loved the tone of the movie. I loved uh, your writing, and um, I just thought it was really a fun character. And Mostly I just wanted to, you know, make out with him because he plays my estranged boyfriend. <laughs> and um, I'd never really done a movie with this particular tone and with a 25-year-old son, so. Uh, <laughs> uh, Chris, throughout your career, you have played a very colorful array of villains and, and kind of sleazy types a, a, a little bit. Thank you. <laughs> um, but the, the character, your character in Splinterheads, you, you think he's going to be that sleaze ball, but he's not. He has a, he's a very sympathetic side. I think you learn to love him. Tell us what, what, what spoke to you about your character. Yeah, there's, a, there's a bit of the red herring in that. I start off as a very uh, seemingly um, just very, very angry man at our, our lead right here. Uh, it was due to a secret that he, you know, he uh, gave to to his mother about me, and, and since I'm so in love with his mother, I have to my, vent any kind of anger I can on him. I look for him to find ways to make his life miserable. And um, what happens is I'm just, I'm just, you know, I, the reason I was so attracted to this is because first of all, it sh we shot it in Long Island, New York. We took over this little town, and the people couldn't have been nicer. They uh, they opened their restaurants to us. They opened their their hearts to us. They all came out and. A lot of them were in the movie, and they were just a, a delight. And since I'm from that area, I never shot in that area. I thought, wow, what a great opportunity. Plus, you know, I love the story, too, and I loved uh, the idea of working with Leah and our new star here. Thomas says, this is like a, this is like a, a big platform jumping off point for to be introduced into the movie world. And a part like this is, is quite fantastic. And what he and, and, and Brent have done is, is uh, quite extraordinary. The real killer in this movie, I think, is, and I wish she was here right now, is the, the fabulous Rachel Ch Taylor. She's in the outback right now, apparently, in... Uh, yeah. in yeah, she's shooting in Australia right now. In Australia, but she's, she's delightful in the movie, and, um, and it's, a, it's really, it turned out so much better than I could have imagined. Uh, and it was up there on the page, but at the same time, it was realized very well. And that's a big kudos to the guys who did all the editing up here. We have our editor here tonight, and... and uh, and all cut on Mac, apparently, which is why we're here. All right. Pamela, you play Leah's sister. Uh, very wild type, very unlike her sister. Kind of has some wild times at the carnival. Tell us about her. Well, <laughs> Aunt Betty uh, was a character I completely fell in love with uh, because she really, really has a driving force of getting what she wants and steamrolling through everybody and anybody to get it. So who wouldn't want to play it? And of course, Leah and I got into it from the start in this amazing, uh, it was fun to play off her and to play with that. And uh, just had a ball when you get to play, you know, a bitch. It's great. And somebody who wants to just put themselves first, it's terrific. A bitch in lust. I'm so glad you reminded me. Speaking of lust, we have Jason. <laughs> Jason, Jason plays Jason. BFF to, to Justin. Uh, 
Yes, you, you guys, are, they're definitely besties. Uh, your character's also kind of a wild type. He, run, he runs a, a lawn mowing operation by day, but he's a wild man. Tell yeah, us about him. Pam and I did a lot of research together while we were shooting, uh, just being wild in yes, the hotel. Did. Yeah. Now, um, he's just, a, you know, Wayne is just the, the outgoing, loud, let's make, you know, stuff happen kind of guy. So um, he's kind of up for, for everything and just game for everything. And he kind of gets things going along with, with Justin and, and, and Rachel Taylor's characters, yeah. Uh, Brian, can you tell us a little bit, uh, talk a little bit about the casting process of this movie, how you, how you recruited such a talented cast for this story? Oh, okay. Um, I guess Rachel Taylor was the first person that we cast. Am I, am I correct, Darren? Or, yeah. Um, she read the script and she loved it and she wanted to be a part of it and um, we were, I was so psyched, you know, and we, so we, we, we like started building around her and we needed to find like the perfect Justin. And, you know, we had a, a I guess a long list of names that we went through and, and, you know, nothing, you know, there were some bigger names. There was a lot of people and I was like, eh, it's not him. It's not him. It's not him. You know, people were pushing certain people. I was like, eh. And I went to the Upright Sins Brigade uh, theater uh, comedy uh, club here in the city and Thomas was doing a showcase there, and he was just, uh, I, <laughs> he was doing this. He was doing a character. He was doing a character. Which I think is funny. I think of, it, uh, to me, this is like, it's like a funny testament to how like random the whole business is, because you can audition for a million parts, and then suddenly someone, see, the director sees you at the show where you're performing this character called Larry Dynamite. Who is this? Please do the accent. I'll I'll try. It's a little offensive sometimes. It's, it's, his name's Larry Dynamite. He's a, like a Native American uh, action comedy juggler, and he's like he juggles, and then he's like, and then he does horrible jokes that are like. <laughs> he talks about like oh, I went on a vision quest, and it's just horrible and hack and, and bad, but on purpose. See what the reaction uh, is. No, why you I don't do it. You gotta do it. I know it's it's <laughs> not it's this is not the protected environment it needs. Um, <laughs> It's funny. It's funny with uh, people who, who, yeah, okay. And then, uh, and I just think that's so funny that that was the character that you're like, yeah, that guy should play the uh, the awkward yeah, love interest to Rachel Taylor. Yeah. I had tears streaming down my face when I saw this. So I'm very funny. He's very, uh, very, very funny. And I didn't even see his face. He's wearing these big aviator glasses and he had jean jacket and jeans. He was like such a character. Yeah. And then what I did is I, uh, I, I convinced the producers to come out to a, I, I stalked him and I found that he was playing doing another stand-up show at another smaller club oh, and yeah. I brought the whole team down and he had no idea and we um, I made him and watch, another and, and another character that was that's Dan Evans he's like a, a desperate dad who's losing everything and he's trying to do stand-up as like a way out <laughs> but it, it just in front of your eyes he just crumbles and, and just like oh boy oh god oh, you know sweating and, and uh, he was wearing a mustache, and it fell off. And oh yeah, <laughs> that was the first time I ever did that guy. So um, and then we brought him in for casting, and he just killed it. He was perfect, and I was like, "That's him." So I fought for him, and everyone loved him, and and then we got it. And then um, and then I met with Pam, and uh, she read for me, and we had a great meeting, and that was like done right there. She was like perfect for the role. I thought she'd be you know just totally kill it. Um, Jason has an interesting story. He put himself on tape for me and put it up on YouTube and here, pass a mic to Jason because it's pretty funny how what he did to get this. Are we going to need a reenactment? Or? Uh, yeah. yeah, no. Um, yeah, no, I got this. Uh, I'm, I'm based in L.A. and these guys are all out here and um, 
uh, my manager was like, hey, there's this great part, you gotta go in for it. But I was doing a show in Colorado at the time, so they were like, you need to put yourself on tape, upload it to YouTube, and send it to us so that we can send it to the, the casting directors and the producers. And so um, I had the cast that I was working uh, with in Colorado shoot this audition scene at like four in the morning, and we uploaded it the next morning and just sent it over via YouTube, and then I got a call from Brant, and we talked about it, and then the rest is history. Yeah. And then he came in and read for us. Wait, can I say one thing? Yes. Because I remember that you said that every video had to pass your then-girlfriend because she didn't laugh unless it was really funny. Oh. So you, all the all the callback <laughs> tapes were sent to her or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, you yeah. Said, yeah. She watched all the tapes with me, my, my now wife, Erica. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Chris McDowell and Leah Thompson was like kind of like no-brainers. I mean, we were sort of, you know, they came up and I was like, please. I mean, it was just like a, a dream to have them both. So, you know, I didn't have to beg them, you know. <laughs> Why, did I have to beg? No. <laughs> I didn't have to yeah. beg, but I... Yeah. I think you bought me a bagel. I did, but oh yeah, we met on in, on the That's beach. That's the way to an actress's heart. <laughs> With tomatoes and cream cheese. Yeah. So Chris and Leah, you guys have both done your fair share of high-profile, high-budget films. What is the appeal for you guys to come to a small town in, in Long Island and, and make a low-budget film like this? I think we're basically just storytellers, and this is a lovely, lovely uh, story of a young man who's really finding himself after. 25 years, and it's so true in life. We're talking to other, other people about this, that, that these kids. I, you know, I have a 19-year-old son who, hopefully, will go out in the world. But who knows? You know, he may be living back with us, going, "Well, I can't find a job, Dad, so I'm just going to take my room and, you know, hang out." And not that he's that bad of a slacker. You know, he does have a job mowing lawns-ish. But um, the the point is, it's a it's a great story because what happens is Justin stands up to this girl who could have, you know, chewed him up and spit him out. And she admires the fact that he stands up to her. And it's spark of, of, of a relationship starts. And then you're really starting to root for him throughout the story. And that's what, it, what I loved about it. It's what really, really is the heart of this movie. And, um, and that's what we all do. We all want to tell good stories. And we could all act with green screens and stuff, because that's a lot of fun. And they pay you a lot of money. But at the same time, this is what, uh, speaking for myself, I love to tell these kind of stories, little personal stories, and go to different parts of the, the, you know, the world and, and tell them. So. I agree. And I think it's really important to, to, um, to, to mix it up and do different styles and different types of movies and different sizes of movies and to support the uh, independent film industry, you know. And um, plus, he's so charming, and the bagel was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas, I have, I have to ask you this. This is one of your first big movie roles. And just by taking this role, you are now cinematic family with Marty McFly. You guys share <laughs> cinematic mothers. Yeah. I mean, did that cross your mind at all? Did be honest. Nope. Yes, it did. <laughs> I know. There's a lot of actresses that complain about playing mothers of teenagers. And I was like, well, when I was 23, I was playing the mother of a teenager. So I, I just doing what I've been doing my entire career. It was really weird when you brought out the hoverboard and was like, let's go for a spin and everything. No, but weirdly enough, there was a guy, there was a guy who shot at the house. He had a DeLorean, right? And oh, he, yeah. like, he brought it out and he's like, eh, am I right? And we was like, yeah, look at that. I've got a DeLorean. <laughs> it, but it was like immaculately kept. It was like a really nice 
carve. And I hear, I hear those are a, a real troublemaker. So yeah, bravo a, to that guy. We have a little Easter egg in the film where when Justin pulls into the house, the DeLorean's parked in the driveway. So yeah. it's not for like a second, but it's yeah. there. Oh. I showed you the Easter egg, so yeah. you're welcome. <laughs> Only here at the Mac store, Soho, yeah. Is that a technical <laughs> term, the Easter egg? I don't think I've ever heard that. Oh, yeah, Easter eggs. It's an Easter egg. Easter Guys, egg. Easter hidden. eggs are secret little uh, bundles of fun that you can find in just about anything uh, to do with probably media, you know, websites, DVD extras. Is that like looking for uh, an, a Hitchcock's appearance in a film, or is it even more subtle than that? Christopher, that's a cameo. Oh, I see. <laughs> Oh. It's going to be a long right. night, folks. Right. So. Hey, Frank, you want to show us another clip from the film? now the student has become the master. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to say, though, that, that scene that you saw there, that was like, I was so nervous, you know, because it, it, it was my first, you know, uh, real anything in an actual film, aside from a very small part in something else. And I was just so nervous the whole time. And that whole, like, exchange on the side of the road with the medals, I started like loosening up and that was the day where I was like oh I, I, I get it now and uh, Christopher McDonald <laughs> showed me the light and it was uh, it was a, that was a real fun time yeah, that wasn't the line it was like you may have won the war uh, you know you may have won the battle but I won the war I, I said it backwards obviously mistake and <laughs> we just went with it and I'm glad you left it in yeah. it's really funny it's hilarious huh. especially from these last two clips that we've seen did you did you let these guys run wild a little bit oh yeah absolutely that's um, Jason Manzukis and Lennon Parham. Uh, Lennon's on the new show, um, Accidentally on Purpose, with Jenna Elfman. And uh, they are students of the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater as well. Um, they are like masters of improv. So, you know, I, I would say like, you know, with them it was like 80% scripted, 20% improv would be fair. I mean, some, you know, I mean, some with that magic stuff, that was, I mean, I don't know. We did a lot of different performances, and we just let them go crazy on stage like that. So that was mostly them. Uh, I'm going to hit you with a very geeky tech question, and then we're going to open it up to the audience if you guys have any questions. Um, but you used the red camera on this, which is sort of sort of becoming all the rage in the filmmaking community. Uh, tell us, tell us a little bit about the red camera. I'm going to have my editor, Chris Leckler, who's the techie guy, talk about it. But thanks. But our DP was Michael Simmons. Uh, he shot. Uh, Chop Shop, Man Push Cart, and Goodbye Solo. Um, he was nominated for a few Spirit Awards for his cinematography, and uh, early on in our meetings, we decided we wanted to use the RED camera because he was he worked on The Messenger, the Woody Harrelson film that's out now, and they used RED, I believe, and he fell in love with it, and he really pushed it on us. So we, I didn't know anything about it um, other than I heard it was amazing to shoot on. So uh, we used it, and... Chris could tell you a little bit about. Yeah, it's um, it's a uh, digital format that you can shoot in that has um, it's kind of a super HD as as it were. Uh, HDTV has uh, like a thousand like one eight ten eighty lines of resolution. This has uh, four thousand lines of resolution. So, what you do is you um, you shoot it. You basically shoot it onto like a little memory card. It's like amazing like how small the thing is that holds the uh, the footage. You take it to a Mac. You, you uh, convert it into QuickTimes, and you can just open it right up in Final Cut Pro. So, um, yeah, we, we did a lot of the, the editing for the movie on a laptop computer on a MacBook Pro um, using Final Cut. And, um, yeah, Red was amazing. You could do things like uh, you'd shoot things a little bit wider than you really wanted it, and uh, then you could crop, you could zoom in on part of the image. In some cases, that was, like, good because we had to take 
say, if we move something in the, in the story, we might have to get an actor out of a scene who was originally supposed to be in a scene. So you'd have creative things that you could do like that as well. All right, thanks. All right, we're gonna open it up to the audience. Uh, if anybody has any questions, just, just raise your hand. Fra Frank will find you with the mic. One other thing though, sorry about, the, uh, about editing, is we edited a majority of the film in my living room. Uh, we just had, we used a MacBook Pro, two terabyte drives, and plugged it into my, my plasma television. I laid on the couch and Chris sat at the table and we just were able to cut just like that. So we actually didn't need to be in an editing suite or anything, it was that easy. So there's a little, yeah. Very cheap. Any questions? Nick Santana. <laughs> Yeah. Um, this is not a technical question at all, but um, I know that Brant, you did a previous feature a mockumentary, and uh, I'm sure a lot of that was improvised. Can you hear me? Sorry. There you go. Okay. So now having a full like narrative, how was it dealing with the actors, working with them? What were the difficulties? What were you know? What were some of the things that were easy to work with? I mean, what kind of advice can you offer someone else out there who's going to do their, their first feature as well? As far as working with actors? Working with actors. It was one, listen to them. Yeah. What, what, yes. And then maybe have the actors just not pay attention to this right now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk after, Nick. No, you know, um, my first film that I did was Blackball, the Bobby Duke story, and it was a completely improvised uh, film. Uh, there was no dialogue written. It was just a detailed uh, story, and the actors just need to hit e each beat that I needed to in each scene. And I let them just say whatever they wanted to say, and then I would just try to steer them in the direction that I thought was the funniest. Um, you know, for this, you know, we really, you know, the script, you know, I, I like to look at the script as a blueprint, you know, and I'm you know, because, you know, you could sit in your living room and write the script and you see it, but when you get on set and all of a sudden there's Bruce Mancuso right there and Susan and Justin and you see the faces and you're in the kitchen or something, everything changes for me. And then it's like I'm totally open to, you know, their suggestions and, and you know, as long as I could, as long, there's some, like, things that I, that I'm, that I'm proud of, that I want to make sure that I get, but I'm totally open to like letting everyone play around with the dialogue and the blocking and everything, and I'm just trying to get the best scene, you know, out of it. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Well, I'd like to ask the cast how important it is to you guys as actors to to look at that the director's resume before you sign on for a project, what he's done, um, how you think he's gonna how you think he's gonna approach filmmaking. I'm always so grateful when they hire me, if they want me. I'm like, you're the man. If you like me, I like you. That's the way I think about it. But, um, you, know, I, you know, you look at the whites of their eyes and you can tell, if, you know, if they've got it going and you've got it going there. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, for me, I, I don't know. I think, I think um, you know, when, someone has, when a director has a passion for something, and especially with independent films, they have to have passion because it's so painful to get it going and so hard. And, um, and, you know, you just listen to them and see what their passion is and, and what their vision is. And then I just always, I just want to be part of it, you know? Be your clay, so to speak. <laughs> and, the, and the bagels, yeah. too. And the bagels. It's, it's, I think, also just meeting, meeting the director and seeing if he's a poison, 
and if he listens and if he wants to play tennis that way and what his ideas are. And, and Brad had written this incredibly quirky, odd, off-center script, and yet he was really um, normal to relate to, and that was very interesting and, and kind of intrigued me to work with. Thank you. I was more worried about Thomas than uh, Brent. <laughs> Thomas is a first-time actor, and uh, he thinks he's funny. But... Uh, As the movie will clearly illustrate, illustrate, I am not. Not so much. But uh, once you sit through the first painful eight seconds of the movie, then you, you catch on. No, he's, he's <laughs> extremely, uh, it's extremely hard to pull this movie off for a first-time actor. So I was, I was really impressed that you guys had a very... Excellent relationship. You talked about it all the time. You brought it down, and it, it from an observer. I mean, I I can direct myself pretty much, um, <laughs> no, and have many times. And, and no, I I, um, I I have uh, I have a great respect for the fact that you guys had that really close relationship as you should have, and how these little modulated scenes became so so much uh, texture for the movie. If that makes sense, you know they were. I mean, him walking down the road when when you see this movie, he's walking down. He's like running into. The, he's just so mad at himself that this guy. You saw a little clip of the guy uh, in the in the trailer. The, the the boyfriend played by Dean Winters, you know, just kicks his butt on the street and says, "Do not come near my girlfriend." And he walks down the street and he's kung fuing the sky for about you know hundred yards. And it, I was watching and going, you know, that it's, that's, that's, that's a choice. That's a strong choice. <laughs> and it's so great in the movie when I actually saw it put together. It was just so fitting and so right. And so I had, a, I had a, I say a lot of props to you two guys for doing that. Uh, had a, like, that's one example of 50 in the movie. So it was great. You guys had a good collaboration. Well, I, I, Branch and I got along real well throughout the film and sort of like, because, I mean, you know, uh, when it, when it's both of our first kind of like forays into like a real, I mean, you've had blackballed and stuff, but we, we both had a, a fair amount sort of riding on it. We just wanted to impress people. We both kind of got into the minute details of like, uh, and you know, I, you had me come in. We, we even like rewrote some scenes and stuff and punched them up and like re re reworked the ending and stuff. And yeah. I think, I mean, Proud to say I got a friend out of it. <laughs> Real nice friend. Don't get me started. Oh. Uh, I, I uh, have a question. The character Galaxy has an interesting hobby uh, known as geocaching. And I think I was first introduced to it via the trailer and then found out that this is an actual thing. Yeah. Um, I'm curious how you learned about this and how it found its way into the script. And did you guys actually um, do any geocaching in the, in the creation of the film? Well, Chris Leckler, my editor, was shooting a, um, a little documentary about geocaching shortly after we wrapped Blackballed, I think. Before? Okay, so before. He was shooting this documentary about geocaching, and I never heard of it, and I don't know how he discovered it, but he was the one that introduced it to me. And it wasn't until later where I, I you know, Galaxy is a, a nomad, and she travels from parking lot to parking lot to parking lot, and I wanted to give her like a little quirky, nerdy side to her. And, you know, what is a hobby that she could carry along to all these different towns? I thought, geocaching. I just, I don't know what it was, something geocaching. And, uh, you know, just log on from any laptop, get some coordinates, and you, there's caches everywhere. If you type in the zip code of this Apple store, I'm sure there's 50 of them hidden around on stop signs and random places all around here. 
um, and, and that's how I discovered it. I don't. Where, where do you find about Village about Voice? There was a Village Voice article about it in 2000, and I contacted the guy that they profiled and followed him for a couple of days. And that was right when pe the, the geocaching started, um, when the satellites were, when uh, they turned off this thing called selective availability, which enabled people to, like regular people, not military people, to use high-power GPS uh, equipment. And uh, yeah, and he, he just really liked it. So, um, and there's, there's like a, about a million caches worldwide um, all over the country. There's lots of people that play this. Um, it's a hobby, a real fun hobby. And I've gone geocaching, and it's so much, because I like to hike, and, you know, if I'm going to, like, Harriman State Park, I'll just plug in, you know, the area code and see what caches are hidden, and let's find, like, five on the way on the trail that we're doing. And it's, it's like a little treasure hunt. It's fun. And the idea is you leave something behind as you take something? Yeah, if, you, you know, there's a log that's in the little cache, like a little, like, army canister or a little Tupperware, something that's waterproof that's, like, hidden in a log or a stump of a tree or under some rocks. And you open it up, and there's like all these little trinkets and things, and there's a logbook, and you could just sign the logbook and date it like you were there, or you could take out something and put something back in. And uh, and that's and you no, know, there's things like mystery caches. There was a, a plane in 1974, a big 747 that crashed in Harriman State Park, which I never knew. Um, there were only three people on the plane. It was like the stewardesses and the pilot. But we found the cache, and you open it up, and there was pieces of the plane in in the cache, and. Uh, news articles about the plane crash and I was like wow I never even knew this and you know you learn some things and you know there's like multi there's games where you find one cache and there's like a clue to get to the next one so it's just something fun to do you know cool, cool. there's a uh, galaxy hit a splinterheads cache in New York City I think it might be somewhere on Central Park and there's definitely <laughs> a Wayne Chung t-shirt possibly still in there oh Awesome. Oh, wow. That's our nice. producer. And you know what? Producing. You know what? You know what? Just, you know what? Uh, what device will use a GPS and it'll work in Central Park? The Apple iPhone. <laughs> hey, now, wait a minute. <laughs> Boy, yeah. It's my time. Thanks, guys. <laughs> uh, do we have any other questions from the audience? Yes. Yep, here in the second row. I wanted to know how did you shop around your script how did you actually find a production company did you know darren or yeah i darren and i have known each other for years before that he was at a um he was at a previous company that produced blackballed for me and we developed another script together and then he went off and started his own company and this is the first film with his new company so i was luckily you know i mean i, I knew him before so i didn't show it to anybody but him there's not a lot of people to trust, and I trust him, so. Question here in the second row. Um, it looks like you guys are doing some, uh, making viral videos and stuff like that based on some of the characters to help spread awareness about the film. I think that's pretty cool, a new thing that can happen because of all of this digital revolution stuff, and I think that's really interesting how that's going to promote the film and how the film's actually going to promote that stuff after the fact. I just wanted to see if you guys could talk about that and tell us some of the plans you have because I've been lucky enough to see a couple of the videos that you guys have made and they're really funny. During production, we had that in mind that, you know, there's a chance that we may have to self-distribute or do something. And, you know, while we have the actors on set, let's see if we could do something, you know, and there's a lot of downtime, as you guys know. Um, so, you know, we, we actually, uh, a, a crew went out with Chris and we did a little cops parody. Um, we had, you know, because we had access to a cop car and he had the uniform and everything. We drove around and those are, I think, are going to be on Hulu. 
today. They went up today or tomorrow. They're going to be on Hulu. Um, and then, yeah, but then whenever I had access to these guys, we just shot a lot of promotional little things just to like fun little shorts and virals to just put out on the web, you know, so something other than a trailer to help promote the movie, like an extension of the film, like a little bit. And, you know, we did some fun Wayne Chung landscaping commercials shot on a green screen that are, you could find on our website, you know, or Facebook, splinterheads.com. And, uh, yeah, you just, you just have to have that stuff in mind because, you know, with Facebook and Twitter and there's so many multimedia sites, like, you know, when your film comes out, it's nice to saturate the market a little bit with, you know, stuff other than a trailer. It's fun. Uh, any other questions from the crowd? Best question wins a chance to buy an iPod. <laughs> How much? So um, this, Chris, I mean, this question is for Chris, and I don't mean to single you out. because uh, I saw this movie a couple of months ago, and I thought uh, it was great. The cast was great. But I don't know. How did you... No, but, yeah. But, no. but Chris. <laughs> but Chris, yeah. No, how did you hone in to this inner um, cop, like, a-hole? Because, you know, you did it very well. No, 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 but you had, you had a sensitive side, you know, which was, yeah. which was even funnier. But how, you know, what did you use, and what, you know, what was the driving motivation? Because and, and, that, that was one of my favorite characters in the movie. Oh, well, thank you for that. I, I uh, love things that are opposites in characters. I had the privilege, I, I asked our, our, our producer, Darren, I said, could I, could I go around with a cop in town? And uh, so they, he called the station and he said, yeah, we have an actor here playing a sergeant. Could you please, uh, you know, have one of your guys, could they, would it be all right if he rode around for a few hours? And, and this guy came back and he says, not one of them uh, fairies from Hollywood, is it? <laughs> so and we met and, and we became, we had a great afternoon. We, and this happens to be this town in, in Long Island where it's like Mayberry. It's over-policed. They, they make tons of money. There's no crime. So we basically went from donut house to donut house, got coffees and stuff like that. He took me to the bad, the bad area. And, uh, you know, and he, and he, it was you know, interesting, very interesting how, how much these guys um, really have control over everything. They have everything locked down so tight in this town that there really wasn't much to do. So I thought it was really interesting to have a way to be so in love with, with, uh, with my girlfriend, Leah, that uh, to, just to beat on him would, would be really funny. But the fact is, the only reason I'm beating on him is because I love her so much and I want this, the truth to come out about our relationship. So I don't want to... That's a spoiler. Don't want to do that. So I know that term. See, Easter egg spoiler. Spoilers went... Well, we'll talk. Anyway. Uh, uh, anyway, but, I, but thank you for that. And I, just, I love the fact that this, this character could be so... Um, so full of, of, of like that cop angst at the same time have that heart of gold and he would melt whenever he was in proximity of his girlfriend. So, And this town, by the way, had two murders a month after we left. <laughs> right. Did it really? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't Mayberry. <laughs> <No. laughs> because they didn't get in. They didn't get in. <laughs> Is it safe to say you guys, you guys seem like you became pretty tight-knit on, on the, over the course of filming. Have you guys stayed in touch much? Uh, since, when, when did you fi finish the shoot? But not this summer, but the last one. Last yeah, summer. last summer. Okay. Uh, Leah and Chris and I were in Krakow, Poland together. One of the biggest perks, is oh. a great, great producer right here, he got this movie seen in Krakow, Poland Film Festival. And they flew a lot of us over it. They didn't even fly him over, but he got us over there. So thanks again, Darren. That was, it was an extraordinary trip. 
Yeah, it really was. And, and, uh, and the movie was very well received. We're like this close to winning the audience award, but against some very stiff competition throughout Europe. And it also it won over in, in Hawaii it, uh, for best audi audience award. It, 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 you know, it's been at eight or nine different festivals. Yeah, we were, That's how you shop yeah. a film around. So Yeah, we just came off the film festival circuit. So we have two more film festivals, Virginia and North Carolina, then we're done. But you know, we, we did pick up an audience award at the Maui Film Festival, and we picked up the audience award at the New Hampshire Film Festival as well. So where can people see the film in New York? So the film comes out this Friday at Regal Union Square. Um, it'll play there for one week. If we do well this weekend, we will get picked up for another run. So it's uh, very important that we have a good, solid uh, weekend. So I encourage you to tell everybody, please, please come out and check out the movie. It's playing 17 times over the weekend. So there's got to be a good time. A convenient time be for you. Time. Yeah, but yeah. tell your friends. It's it's and it's a labor of love. I mean, it's just uh, to, to releasing a movie. Atlantic Pictures releasing this movie, and you know, it's 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 a big. If, if it does well, it could you know it could. The sky's the limit in a lot of ways. So, uh, we're here uh, showing our support for this movie because we really care about it. And uh, if you can tell your friends and come out on a Saturday afternoon, and it's going to be raining all weekend. So, bring your friends. Come on down. Check it out on Saturday or Sunday. See you twice. Twice. And we'll be doing like Q&As, and uh, we have a, on Saturday we have a dunk booth. A real Joey the Clown from Jersey is going to be set outside yeah. outside the theater, so you can come throw balls at him. Yeah, we have a, a mob event that we're planning. Uh, 3,000 people are going to be wearing little red noses at the same time for some photographs that we're going to be taking. Which, come meet Joey, get oh. a nose. There it is. Yeah. You know, there are little small-scale things we're doing, but it's noses, you know? Where do you get that? And you go... Go to our premiere. Well, we want to thank our wonderful guests of, of this exciting film, Splinterheads. Uh, check it out. You can visit splinterheads.com to find a, a screening maybe near you. Uh, you've been a wonderful audience. Thanks again for coming out, and uh, we look forward to seeing you uh, next time. Have a great night. Thank Thanks you for coming. coming.